For the last 22 years, I've been rocking stages, playing in clubs, and having a lot of fun as a DJ and turntablist, and I've seen and learned a lot. Now it's time for me to share that knowledge by answering the questions that can help you become a better DJ. I'm DJ TLM, and this is Share the Knowledge. Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. One, two, one, two. Once again, it's your boy, DJ TLM, and you're checking out the Share the Knowledge podcast. This is my educational podcast for DJs. I want to thank you for tuning in. I'm here with a new show every Monday. Check me out on SoundCloud, Anchor, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, and all of the other podcast platforms. Well, I'm trying to expand, get it everywhere that I can, but uh, Anchor, SoundCloud, iTunes, that's your first stop for sure. Now, for all the info about the podcast, make sure you check out the website at sharetheknowledgepodcast.com, and of course, you have my website, djtlm.com as well. I have some special news here as well when it comes to Facebook, and that is that I've made a special Share the Knowledge Facebook group, and I'll link that in the description box uh, because it's not like a, a, a very catchy link. So I'll make sure I'll add that. That's going to be the main place on Facebook to ask me questions for the show. I might still do the live stream every now and then, but I wanna have a place where anyone can just ask questions. Every now and then I'll drop some topics in there as well, ask you guys for feedback, but I want you to feel free to ask questions and not just to me, just to the Share the Knowledge community. Now I just started this group, so there's only like 40, 45 members in there now, um, but I'm definitely trying to make this a place where you can go to talk about DJing, discuss and have questions, answer questions. And um, yeah, that's going to be the place where I'll be looking the most for questions. Now, last week, you might have noticed that a lot of my questions came from my Instagram DMs. That's the place that I really check as well. And I get the emails. So I'll be looking at my inbox in a second to see if there's any interesting emails. I have not prepared that part, but um, I have questions ready right here uh, from, of course, my YouTube comment section. If you haven't checked my YouTube channel, that's uh, youtube.com slash TV. That's where I drop a lot of educational videos, also video clips from this very podcast. And uh, I talked about Facebook signing the deal with Warner Music Group, a licensing deal, and they did that after they already signed a deal with uh, two of the other majors, uh, Universal and Sony. And how this would possibly have a positive uh, impact for DJs because it would allow us to stream and post a lot more music-related content. Now, I received a question in the comments section uh, from DJ Rocket. Shout out, Rocket. And the question is, what I would like to know is how does this kind of music deal affect those who play stuff from smaller labels, like independent electronic music labels? So I play breaks, drum and bass, techno, and house, and all my stuff comes from online stores like Beatport and Track It Down. Do smaller labels also ding DJs for using their tracks? If not, will Facebook ding me if I stream live with music from smaller labels? I know SoundCloud has before and taken down my mixes. Well, if I'm not mistaken, every artist or every label has to actually... um, Uh, bring their tracks to YouTube and Facebook to let them know like, hey, these tracks cannot be streamed without our permission. 
Uh, I know that YouTube and Facebook, they have a certain algorithm that will scan whatever you're doing and it can actually recognize tracks that you are not allowed to stream. That's the only way they can do this because they're not taking down everything. So I had the same thing in the past on my YouTube channel where some of the videos were being uh, flagged or recognized and that could happen like within two minutes of uploading. So that got scanned immediately. And I remember that uh, Warner Music Group, WMG, that was one of the uh, labels I had the most problems with on YouTube. And I've had it happen on Facebook where I was streaming live at a party I was playing and midway through the stream, it got cut off and I got that notice as well that there was uh, copyright infringement and um, the stream was deleted. So... I do believe that the labels and artists, if, if they're like independent artists, they have to actually um, let YouTube and Facebook and other platforms know like, hey, these songs are being streamed or are not allowed to be streamed. So I'm not sure when it comes to the little smaller labels or independent labels and artists, if they're not signing their tracks up, then I don't think your streams will get taken down. I've seen plenty of stuff online that's not taken down, and most of the times that is from smaller labels or just labels who don't have a problem with tracks being streamed. But I remember that Mixcloud became that safe solution because SoundCloud was affecting a lot of DJs when they posted mixes. Mixcloud was like the safe haven for a while until they started to get the same type of issues. And I remember that most of the issues with mixes came from tracks by artists that were on big labels or where the labels already had like some exclusive deals with streaming platforms like Spotify or Tidal. So if an artist or label is not uh, signing tracks up to be scanned and stuff like that, I don't know the scientific term in this case. Uh, I'm sorry, it's late, I'm a bit tired. but. I think you're going to have a lot less trouble when you're using these indie tracks uh, or tracks from smaller labels. And I mean, if I had a smaller label, I think having DJs use the tracks would be a great way to promote. But I talked about that last week. How I think there's still um, a real weird relationship between DJs and labels. But it's all about the money at the end of the day. And now that streaming can be profitable... They want to make sure that they control everything. There was a while when they were all about uh, downloading is the devil, but streaming was not the main issue. Now that they found out that they can actually have money come in, make like revenue, create revenue from streams, um, they got a lot tougher on the streaming platforms like SoundCloud that we were using. So I think you would have less trouble using tracks like that. Um, but I'm definitely not 100% sure. So I'm gonna to go to another question from my DMs on Instagram. And if you're watching the video clips, yes, I'm looking at a screen, not my phone. That's because I have my phone connected to this monitor. Uh, makes it a little bit easier to read while I'm doing this podcast. Now, um, shout out to you, Jay. You gave me this question and um, here's the question. In my time as a DJ, I've watched tons of sets live and on YouTube that have given me tons of ideas. Some of those sections I love so much, I want to play basically verbatim and not complicated routines either. Just transitions of songs I never put together on my own. Is it acceptable as a DJ for me to play a few of these at night? 
So not making an entire set out of other people's routines, but adding a few things here and there. Thanks for the content, share the knowledge. All right, Jay, there's a difference between um, copying, being inspired, uh, and just straight up jacking like entire routines. Now, of course, you're not talking turntablism, so I'll, I'll leave that out of here, but you can imagine if you're gonna take someone's turntablism routine and just do that everywhere as your own. I mean, turntablists will probably not really like that. If you're doing this as a tribute, so for instance, uh, there's plenty of DJs that did routines that I thought were amazing. And I know a lot of turntablists for practice purposes like to emulate a routine, try to um, replicate a routine just to learn the techniques. But I've seen crazy routines from Qbert, Babu, uh, uh, Craze, of course, Rock Raider, Executioners, like a lot of routines that were really dope. I could practice those for practice purposes, try to emulate. And if I would ever do something like that live, it would have to be like I'm doing a Babu tribute and now or a turntablist tribute and I'm doing some of the most famous routines and then try to do them, but not do them as my own. So if I'm having a showcase and it's me doing a turntablism showcase, I shouldn't be doing a routine that another turntablist came up with. That doesn't really make sense. Um, you're not talking about turntablism. I get that. You're talking about transitions. Now, of course, you could be at a club sometimes or just see a mix on YouTube and hear a DJ take two tracks that you never thought would work together. And when you hear them together, you're like, yo, that sounds dope. I get that. I've had that happen a few times. Um, here's the thing. When it comes to using the same tracks for your transition as other DJs, in a lot of situations, DJs can't claim anything. And I remember, like, that still happens now, I guess, but I don't go out. I hardly ever go out. I go out when I have to perform. But back in the days, I used to DJ, and every night I was not DJing, I was still in clubs. And I remember that 9 out of 10 DJs, we're playing the same hits in the exact same order. And when we would go out, I would be with a couple of people, including some DJs. And as soon as one of those hits came on, we would be like, all right, he's going to play this one next. And then they would play it. And then we would say, all right, he's going to do this next. And then he'd play that. And the other people with us who weren't DJs would look at us like, how do you know that? <laughs> well, because nine out of 10 DJs are doing the exact same thing. So when they were hitting uh, a certain pocket, I'm talking hip hop, R&B now, a certain pocket that was in a certain BPM range, we would just know they're going to take this track. And from this one, they're going to go to that. And then they're going to take that. And they would do that same thing every week. Um, None of them would ever complain that other DJs were taking the same tracks because they didn't care. They just wanted to play those tracks. To me personally, it was corny as hell. I would play those same tracks, but I would definitely try to get some variety in there and not play them in that exact same order. But I've definitely used or did the same type of transitions at certain occasions and not because I heard them do it, but because a lot of transitions would be logical. Now, in this case, I think you're talking about transitions that are not that obvious, logical, that you wouldn't think of. In that case, if it's something that sounds really special, you haven't heard anyone else do it, and you're going to take that and use it, 
if it's a transition between two tracks, I don't think anyone's going to kill you for that. So if you hear one transition from one DJ that you really liked and you heard another transition that you really liked, and you use those in your set, so I'm talking like two transitions, I don't think anyone's going to really care about that. Now, you might still try to do it a little bit different. So even if you're using the exact same tracks they were using, even if you take the same transition point, the same point in the track, you could still try to make it your own by either doing something else with the EQ to bring it in differently, or maybe it's possible that you, you can loop one of the tracks so that it comes in, but in a different way. Still try to make it your own. So you can take that idea when you just hear that something sounds dope, that's just being inspired, but then still try to make it your own. Even if it's a slight adjustment, that alone would make it much doper. So I can hear someone mix two tracks and be like, hey, they sound, they sound dope together. And I might not even remember that, but next time I'm playing and I'm playing that one track, it might pop up in my head like, hey, I'm looking for the next song to play. And it might pop up in my head and all of a sudden I remember, hey, I heard that those two tracks sound dope together. Let me get that track. And then I might mix them, but I'm not doing the exact same transition. They'll probably do because I'll work my EQ in a different way or I'm cutting it in while they're just mixing it in, whatever the case may be. Um, so I'm definitely not trying to emulate what another DJ is doing, but when it comes to mixing two tracks, a lot of ideas aren't original and most of us will come up with the same thing. If it's something that's really special, you might want to try and do it a little bit different. Um, one more example. And I was late to watch this because I don't watch a lot of, well, I hardly watch TV. Most of the content I consume is from YouTube and sometimes Netflix, not even movies, but uh, documentaries. I was pretty late watching The Defiant Ones, the documentary about Dr. Dre and Jamie Iovine. But I remember at a certain point, they went back to Dre's beginning as a DJ. And the first time he got to play at Lonzo's Club, he did a transition that no one, at least there, had ever done before, where he was taking like a track from, I don't remember, the 50s, 60s, I think it was Hey Mr. Postman, something like that, and mixed it with like one of these up-tempo uh, uh, electro type of tracks from the 80s, and it sounded dope, and it was totally different that one than what anyone had ever heard there before. So imagine if you hear someone do that mix and it's something that hasn't been done before or you've never heard it and all the people never heard it, then it might inspire you, but it would be doper if it would inspire you to go dig in the crates yourself and try to find maybe some other classic tunes and see if you can find your own dope blend and mix that with a more uh, modern day track. So being inspired can happen in a lot of different ways. I've seen tons of beat making videos where I've seen uh, someone like Ryan Leslie. I don't know if you remember RLS when he was doing his early videos on YouTube and you'd see him produce a track in the studio, that process. Every time I watched one of his videos, I had to jump behind my equipment to make a beat. Now, my thing was never that I wanted to try and do exactly what he did, but he would inspire me to do. And even if I see a producer like take something totally ridiculous and hold it in front of the mic to make a noise that they would use in a beat, 
I would take that idea, but I would not try to get the same sound. I would take something totally different, but get a crazy sound out of it. And I would take an exercise ball, slam on it, and record that and get a sound. So it inspired me, but I still try to make it my own instead of just copying. And like you said, you can learn and practice by uh, um, emulating, replicating, and doing it verbatim. But doing that live would be a lot doper if you can make it your own. So real quickly, I just want to address a question that I saw in my YouTube comments, and that was a comment below my video about your main source for music, DJ Pools. Uh, that's an older video a couple of years ago. And the question is, this might be a stupid question, but are all of these Serato exclusive? I've tried to see if any are compatible with Rekordbox, but not finding much info on the sites themselves. Uh, thanks for all your very helpful videos so first of all when you're downloading from a record pool all of these files will be uh in most cases will be mp3 hopefully 320 uh if your record pool does anything less than you might want to reconsider using that record pool uh now i know for instance some record pools will get something exclusively first and they might get it at um 256 uh, I know DJ City does this every once in a while, but they'll add the 320 as soon as possible. And that's mostly uh, within no time. They'll have an update to that file and give you the higher quality file. But um, it's going to be MP3 on most uh, uh, DJ pools. I don't know if there's any out there that do wave, but um, your MP3 will work with any DJ software. So the only thing some DJ pools might mention is that they've optimized stuff for Serato. Now in most cases, that probably means that they will have cue points that were added that your Serato software can recognize. But beyond that, you could use a file that you download from a record pool with Serato, with Tractor, with your uh, Recordbox DJ, or with uh, uh, DJ Pro software. It's gonna work with all of them because it is an MP3 and will always be an MP3. So you shouldn't worry about that. You can definitely use those files with Recordbox. Now, it could be that they have cue points in there that were made for Serato and then your Recordbox won't see them and uh, that they haven't been optimized for uh, Recordbox in that way so that there's no cue points. But beyond that, you're perfectly fine. So you never have to worry about that. All DJ software will take the same type of format. So they'll take MP3, they'll take Wave. Um, and a lot of times if they include iTunes, they'll take the, uh, uh, the format that iTunes likes to use. And um, you're good. For the modern day DJ, producer or musician, it's more important than ever to make sure you have an online presence. And having your own website is key. Bazoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. You can choose from hundreds of mobile friendly themes and then customize your design and content in a few clicks with Bazoogle's easy visual editor. Now, all the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including tools to sell your music and merch commission free, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, and integration to pull in content from all your online services, including Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. I use Bazoogle to create the Share the Knowledge podcast website and that was very easy. Banzoogle plans start at just $8.29 a month and include your own free custom domain name. Now, if you want to try it out for free for 30 days, click on the link in the description box down below and be sure to use the promo code SHARE to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. So I'm in my inbox right now, my inbox, my email inbox. Uh, you can also ask me questions there, djtlmtv at djtlm.com. 
And um, this is someone who's at the very beginning of mixing and just wants some tips on how to mix music. I just want to have fun at home or with my homies and mix some music, but it's kind of hard with the BPM differences and when to use the filters. I also have problems with song transitions. They usually sound very bad. What steps should I take to learn more about this and eventually to mix every track without problems? Uh, I hope you can work at these minuses and get better. I hope I can work at these minuses and get better. All right. So there's a couple of things in here that make a lot of sense. First off, if you tell me that you're at the very beginning of mixing and that it's kind of hard with the BPM differences, well, that's what mixing is all about. You have to make sure that you match the tempo of two tracks. That is called beat matching. That's where it all starts if you want to start mixing music because not all music will have the same tempo. Even if you're staying in one genre, you're going to have different uh, speeds. The music is not playing at the same tempo. So you're going to have to be able to match the beats either manually and you do it by ear or you do it by uh, using the sync feature that is in certain software and hardware. So if you're having problems with that, then it makes a lot of sense that your transitions usually sound very bad. Um, so those things go hand in hand. That's pretty obvious. Um, also, you're talking about that you don't know when to use filters. Look, if you're still in the stage that you're having trouble with BPM and don't know how, you, how to do your transitions, affects are the least of your worries. That's not what you should be working on right now. So I would leave filters, effects, leave those alone. I mean, you can play with them, have fun, but if you're now learning how to DJ, uh, those play no part at all in these first stages of learning how to become a DJ. Uh, check out my video material on my YouTube channel, DJ TLM TV. I have a mixed tutorial series, a couple of parts at least, and those cover the basics that you are dealing with right now, including how to use your equipment, beat matching, Timing, very important, but taking a step back, one of the most important things is knowing how to count music. Learning how to understand beats, bars, and phrases. And I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again a million more times, and I don't mind saying that. I'll get into that in a second. I got a question about that. But if you don't understand how to count music, you will not understand the structure of songs and you won't understand why you're supposed to do mixes at certain points. Now, there's not one right point to do a transition, but there are certain rules when it comes to doing transitions and those rules are based on the structure of songs and the only way to know that is by knowing how to count music. If you don't understand bars, you don't know beats bars, then you won't understand phrases and that will leave you in the dark when it comes to knowing how to mix. Now, for some people, this comes naturally. I didn't truly understand what beats, bars, and phrases were when I started to mix. And to be honest, I never heard about phrases until I was mixing 15 or 20 years. That's right. But I was already doing it. That's the funny thing. Now, maybe it comes from my drumming background. I used to drum when I was 14. That taught me everything, not just about rhythm, but about structure. I was doing a lot of patterns in 4-4 time signature, also some stuff in other time signature, but I was learning about that. I already had a natural feeling for it as well, but drumming taught me a lot about that. So when I first started to mix and actually do beat matching, matching two tracks was logical to me. It took me some time to learn, 
I needed to teach my ears how to recognize if I had to move a track forward or backwards, but it made sense to me why I was doing it. Now, luckily, I guess I also have an ear for music, so I never, ever, ever taught about, uh, thought about key. That's one of those things, just like phrases, first time I actually heard about it, that you could also like uh, analyze songs to find the key. I was never mixing in key, but I had an ear for it, so I could hear when I mixed two tracks, even if the speed was right, that the melodies were clashing. And I didn't have a technical term for that, so I didn't understand that they were not in the same key range, but I could tell like, hmm, this doesn't sound right. So for me, a lot of this stuff came naturally and, and of course got better with practice. So for you, it's very easy to tell you where you need to start. You need to start by learning how to count music. Once you understand how that works, you're going to take a totally different look at your tracks because now you're going to understand like, hey, all right, this intro part with just drums is eight bars. Okay, that's cool. All right, the track is playing right there. That has a hook, a chorus. Hey, that chorus is also eight bars. Cool. If I take the beginning of that track that is eight bars and mix it into that eight bar chorus, I'm going to have a perfect mix. That's going to make sense once you understand how to count music. So um, that's going to help you out a lot. So actually, just start with my mix tutorial series. It's going to teach you about counting music, going to teach you about your equipment, and then beat matching and timing, knowing when to do a transition. Once you master those things, you are well on your way, and then you can start looking at EQ and filters and effects and stuff like that. And one more important thing that you said, because you want to learn that you can eventually mix every track, you do not want to mix every track, especially when you start to deal with tracks that are so far apart when it comes to their tempo or where it's just not smart to mix because it has an intro that you want people to be able to really hear. And then it's just a lot better to just drop it on the one. Again, you won't understand what dropping it on the one means unless you learn how to count music. So look at my tutorial and take it from there. Now, having given that advice right now about counting music, uh, I received a question not too long ago. I don't even remember where it was. It could have been my YouTube comment section. Um, it could have been on Facebook, but someone was asking me if I don't get tired of giving the same advice, especially when it comes to stuff like this. Um, because a lot of people still ask me, like, hey, I want to learn how to mix. Where do I begin? Um, that story will never change. That will always be what I just said. You need to learn how to count music. That's going to give you an insight. You'll understand beats, bars, and phrases. Now you see the structure of songs. That's going to help you out when you start to practice how to mix. Now you need to learn how to beat match because you have to get the tempo right. I can explain that story over and over. It doesn't really get tired, and I don't mind explaining that. That's just the basic. That's where it all begins. And... Um, it's just the fact you're always going to have new people that haven't heard that information before because they just decided that they wanted to start DJing. So it's not that crazy, especially if you have a lot of material online. I mean, I can send, pe send people to my YouTube channel. It has like 380 videos on there and... Uh, they're going to have to find that exact video where I'm talking about what they need to know. I understand that they'll just ask me instead of going through all those videos first um, because they have no idea where to start. And I'd rather 
guide them to the right starting point instead of having them go through a lot of videos that might just go way over their head because I'm talking about stuff that they're not ready for. You want to make sure people start at that right point. Um, plus, I think it's just an important message to share because I've uh, I've come across a lot of DJs that have been playing for a long time that still did not understand how to count music correctly. Um, and you can just tell they learned how to beat match, but when you hear the timing, when you hear when they make their transitions, you can just tell, like, this guy or girl has no idea where that phrase begins because you're mixing it one-third into a new phrase, something that makes absolutely no sense. That can only happen if this DJ doesn't truly know how to count music. Um, so I don't mind. I've I've already discovered I don't mind telling certain stories over and over again. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe for someone else, it would be like, oh, here we go again. I got to talk about the same thing again. I have so much love for this that I don't mind talking about this over and over again. I like to make sure that I'm spreading uh, stuff that I know, especially essential information like this. And I'll say it a million times. And uh, yeah, I have no issues doing that. Now, there are certain questions I receive where people hope that I can give them the answer to all they need to know in one sentence, and that's not possible. So, hey, I'm about to learn how to DJ. What do I need to know? Well, I'm not going to go through every email because then I would be doing that same thing uh, 20 times a week. I would get tired of that. But talking about it, either just with the mic or on cam, I'm cool with that. I wanted to talk about something I read a couple of days ago. Also, on my YouTube page, DJ TLM TV, in the comments section, this was a comment that was made um, under my how to deal with song request videos. And uh, I did this video years ago, but everything in the video still applies. I think that there's a time and place for requests. A lot of people, DJs, absolutely hate requests. Some DJs will always take requests, love requests. And for me, it's uh, a thing where I don't really like requests. But there's been situations where a request actually really helps me as a DJ. I've been in a couple of situations where I'm not getting vibes from the crowd. I freestyle, so I try out all sorts of things to see where that crowd is at, all sorts of genres, uh, speeds, just to see where they're going. Um, I've had a couple of times where I just did not get a vibe from the crowd, so it was real hard for me to tell what they like. At that point, a request can actually give you an indication of what that crowd might feel, especially if it's a local person requesting. So I, at that party, had a request, a person come up with a couple of requests, and they caught me off guard like, oh, really? Those tracks? And I tried those tracks, and a good portion of the crowd responded well. So I was like, okay, that really helped me out. So in that case, the request was a very good thing. But if I got the party going, and a lot of times, unfortunately, with requests, this is the case. It's just an ego thing from people who want to hear what they want to hear, even though a lot of times that totally doesn't correspond with what's going on on the dance floor. So you'll have that party going. The club is full, the crowd is dancing, and then someone comes up and asks you something that will totally not mix with what you're doing at that point. So you don't want to play it because it's going to ruin your vibe. It's going to take all the flow out of it. Or they're just asking something that doesn't fit with the entire night. If there's a certain theme or concept where you play certain genres and they ask something totally different, then that doesn't work. 
Um, or in my case, personally, if they request songs that I absolutely hate and never play, I will not play those songs. Simple as that. That's me. It might be totally different for you. So when it comes to what I'm talking about here, I would love to hear your opinion in the comment section. So taking it back to the comment that was made, the comment says, I get that we hate requests. The problem is that they are part of the job. No, totally disagree, but I'll continue first. If you are working in the hospitality industry, you have to suck it up and play things we don't think go with the flow from time to time. I disagree again, but I'll continue. I'll say when Bob Hope, Anita Pointer, or Robert Plant walk up and request a song, you play it. If you are like, who? Google is your friend. First off, at what events are you playing that you get uh, people like Bob Hope, Anita Pointer, or Robert Plant? And I might be totally mistaken. I thought Bob Hope passed away already, but that might be me. So I'll, I'll Google that. But I know who that is. Um, look, like I said, I totally agree with some of the statements in here. And I know a lot of you will probably totally agree with some of the statements in here. So let me know that in the comment section below as well. So the problem is they are part of the job is something I disagree with. No, they're not part of the job. If I'm booked to play at a club, I get booked by a promoter or a club owner to come to a party and play music, rock that crowd. Requests are not part of that job. Now, for some DJs, they don't even have to deal with that because they're playing in a uh, in a setting where they're not even near the crowd, they get to do what they do from a DJ booth or a high stage. Um, but, uh, in some places, you'll just be in the middle of the crowd, so it's going to be hard to avoid. But I don't, I don't feel this is part of the job that people can just request songs. I'm a DJ, I'm not a jukebox. So to me, there's a major difference. Now, you also say you're working in the hospitality industry. Um, no, I don't really agree with that, but that might be me. I get what you're saying, but... I'm booked to play within that industry. I don't feel that makes me part of that industry, but uh, that's another discussion. You have to suck it up and play things you don't think will go with the flow. Well, that's why I totally disagree. If I'm playing and I'm rocking a party, someone requests a song that totally goes against what I'm playing, so it's going to mess up my vibe. No, I'm not going to suck it up and play it because that's going to mess up my vibe. So you mean that I would have to suck it up? To do something that's going to mess up my vibe and give me a lot more trouble to get that dance floor back to where I had them, that makes no sense at all. It really doesn't. Um, so, no, I definitely do not agree with that. But like I said, in certain on certain occasions, it could help to take requests if you don't have that crowd where you want them to be and you absolutely have a hard time finding out what that crowd likes. That's when that request can help. Now, you're also naming these names, but let me just take from your example that you mean when a celebrity comes up and requests a song, you play it? No, I disagree again. That's me. A celebrity is a person who is known by more people than someone else. It does not make them more special. It does not mean that when a celebrity requests a song that that means that all of a sudden you have to play it. First of all, this is not the person hiring me. I've been booked to play at that club. I've not been booked to entertain that celebrity. I'm not their private DJ. So if the celebrity would have a request and I would like the song and it would fit the narrative, yeah, I'll play it. 
I'll probably even try to make them feel more special, like I'm playing it especially for them, even though it's a track that I would probably play later on in the evening anyway. But if that celebrity comes in and requests something that he or she would like to hear, but it's not going to work with what I'm doing, I'm not going to play it. I might even give them, uh, let me see if I can get it in there, and then I don't play it. Uh, or if it's just something that doesn't fit at all, I might even tell you no. But the smartest thing would probably be to say, let me see what I can do, and then just don't play it. Maybe you're afraid that if you don't play it, that then the celebrity will then um, complain and the owner gets wind of it and you're not booked again. If that would happen to me, then that's what will happen. And then they won't book me again. And then I don't even want to play there anymore if that's how they work, if that's how they operate. This is going to be different throughout the world. I get that. So I'm just speaking from my personal perspective. I don't play at a lot of clubs. I haven't played at a lot of high-profile clubs where there's a lot of like A-list celebrities who request tracks. So maybe there's a certain protocol there that I don't know about. But in my opinion, that doesn't really matter. So I can understand the politics, and I can understand that a club owner would like to have that celebrity in their club. It's good for their name, so they would hope that the DJ would also please that celebrity. Um, but the only thing I'll do is I'll listen to their request. That's as far as it goes. If it doesn't fit what I'm doing, it's not going to be played. Like I said, there's going to be a lot of different opinions when it comes to this subject. Um, so I'd love to hear yours. Let me know how you feel about this in the comment section down below. Um, I want to thank uh, the person for leaving the comments. Always good to have comments like this. And uh, I hope you're open to that conversation as well. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Like I said, I'm here every week on Anchor, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And you can check out some of the video clips on my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash djtlmtv. Now, for all my info, check out djtlm.com. And for the podcast website, go to sharethenowledgepodcast.com. Talk to you soon and share the knowledge.